1: trojan fans welcome to the Parastyle podcast on a sunday we're gonna recap usc spring football 2018 ending with the usc spring uh, wasn't a game uh spring showcase you can call it it certainly wasn't a game you could see it live on the pac-12 network and we were down there covering it lots of uh Articles and photos and video up on uscfootball.com right now. We wanted to recap it here on the Peristyle Podcast with Coach Harvey Hyde, who was down there as well. You can follow Coach on Twitter at Coach Harvey Hyde or go to his website, harveyhyde.com. If you have any questions for us, we love to hear from you. Podcast at uscfootball.com is the email. Or if you want to call or text, the number is 424-254-9141. I'm sure you're going to have lots of questions after the spring game spring showcase, whatever you want to call it. So send them in there and we will do our best to get to them. All right. And uh, let's bring in the coach to talk about the spring showcase and all of spring football. What is up coach? How are you doing today?
0: Well, Ryan, it's a a good day for everybody. uh, And in the football world, we had a great uh, Saturday as far as college football on national TV, watching all the different scrimmages that went on. And trying to compare different programs, different techniques, different ways of doing it. And then uh, I was able to go down, as you were and your staff was and others, down and watch the USC spring practice. I'm going to call it spring practice, uh, where uh, the team uh, for its 15th day went out and demonstrated to the crowd and to the media and people that were there uh, What they've done or accomplished or how they progressed as far as trying to be a better football team since losing in the Cotton Bowl to uh, Ohio State. And I think that's what the number one thing a coaching staff has to do is look at the negatives, not the positives, and say, okay, how are we going to play at the next level? What do we need to learn from a loss, all three losses, and how can we now turn those around without Sam Darnold here and be able to compete on the national level. And I think that's what uh, I've been gauging spring practice on. I don't know how everybody else has been gauging spring practice, but the roster's talented, great players out there, depth 85 players now for the first time in a long time. And did they utilize this in making it happen as far as becoming a better football team?
1: Right. And that's kind of what we're going to talk about today. Um, so the 15 practices are over. Uh, USC end up running a 40-play uh, scrimmage situation during the final spring practice. Um, showcase, whatever you want to call it. Uh, before we jump into talking about that, I wanted to thank Southern California Tickets. If you want to get tickets for maybe some playoff hockey, it's, uh heating up right now. Baseball, of course, is, is getting rolling. Angels doing well. Dodgers not as well um here locally but you can get tickets for any any sporting event across the country or if you want to go to a play uh you want to go to a concert you can go to sctickets.com or give them a call at 1-800-888-7287 tell Curtis the coach sent you Harvey Hyde and uh, they'll definitely take care of you they've been helping us for many many years and uh it's gonna kind of a slower sports period now but I do I'm not a huge hockey fan during the season I love watching it now so couple local teams here uh, in the playoffs, at least for now. So, you can try to go check those guys out. All right, Coach. Um, so, I don't know. I mean, I know there was kind of a mixed bag as far as were people disappointed. It wasn't a real game. Um, we haven't seen uh, like kind of a real spring game for a while. This is a much deeper team, though. Um, I think they talked about that on the the broadcast on Pac-12 Network. I haven't watched the the whole thing yet, but I'm, I'm looking for I taped it. I'm going to go back and, uh, and and watch it. Our friend Yogi Roth uh, doing doing some of the play-by-play on the field. We got to see him down there. But, um, you know, with the Coliseum renovation and, uh, you know, some injuries and things like that, just didn't seem like they wanted to make this a big deal. Now, the Pac-12 Network wanted to do something from every campus, so they only did like an hour from USC. It was really short. Um, you know, a thousand people or so came out. What are overall, what were your thoughts on kind of, how Saturday went uh, for USC? Well,
0: uh, I don't know how much time we have, but uh, first of all, I was disappointed as far as the the way the production of the spring game went. We've discussed this before, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time at it. I think spring practice, your final practice, the 15th practice is where you go out, And you have a game-type situation with officials calling everything, coaches on the sideline. And a situation is exactly like a game because you teach off this the entire summer. You teach off what's right, what's wrong, how to get better, what do we get better at, what did we do very well. And I think you've got to be able to evaluate that. Now, how much evaluation you can get from yesterday, I don't know. I don't think having it on campus. And the lack uh, of enthusiasm in the crowd when you have a small crowd. I don't think it really brings to the spring game like it should be. But I think people over the past several years have gone to the spring festival or whatever you want to call it, showcase, and uh, are disappointed because they don't see a real football game. And I think that's one reason why the crowd is down. But again, as a football coach, I don't really care how many people are there in the stands. I care what we do on this field uh, as far as a football team and a roster of football players and how we get better. And if we take care of our business, you don't have to worry about the crowds that will be in the stadium. They'll be there because people love winners. I was a little disappointed in the coverage. Of USC spring game, as far as uh, I didn't see any articles in the local newspapers highlighting it, telling everybody to get out there. And I watched a newscast last night just to see what type of coverage they would have. And there wasn't a lot of coverage as far as filming. And I didn't see many uh, people out there in the, the radio land or TV land covering USC football. There's a lot of competition now in L.A., and as you mentioned it with two teams in the hockey playoffs and Dodger baseball and the angels doing well, Hey, you've got a huge market here. So you've got to be able to compete And the way you solve that is by winning. So I think it's very important that, well, I know everybody understands winning's important, but you've got to do what you need to do to become really good at it, to get your attention, because that's the first time ever I've seen USC football, not being covered. It was on the Pac-12 network, yes, but not being covered in a way I I look at USC football. Uh, uh, I think that uh, uh, they did yesterday what they should have done the first weekend. What I mean by that, what they did yesterday, they went ABC, they ran series. They didn't run 31 flavors of every play you have in the offense. They run a base defense. They They wanted to accomplish teaching, how to do it the tough way first, not the easy way first, or have the defense dominate so much as it did because the offense wasn't ready for all the different looks the defense has. The defense has so many returning players, which USC will rely on next year to be the backbone of their team early in the season. We hope it's only early in the season. And they were able to run their power series. They bootlegged a lot. They, 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 they ran keeps a lot. And it was all one series. And Coach Helton even said, we step, kept the one series. Well, that's what you should do is you teach ABC, not teach all series and then go to XYZ. And they utilized that. They tutored the tight end a lot. Uh, they could have utilized the tight end more down the field and other receivers down the field on play-action pass. They chose not to, which was fine. And uh, they ran basically one series and tried to get better at that series. And I think they really did accomplish that because when they evaluate the film, they'll be able to, to look at that series and see what they can do to make it better and and teach off of it, not have... Every play and every scrimmage, and they can really learn a lot from that. So I think they accomplished a lot at that. I think both quarterbacks looked better because of that. They knew exactly what they do on certain things. They didn't have to think. So I think that was important. And on the defensive side of the football, it started more aggressively, the opening series, and then they sort of backed off. They sort of toned it down. They were doing a little bit, I think, too much on the defensive side where they didn't want to get anybody hurt. So they toned it down and then it became more of a thud type of drill where the offense more or less dominated more because the quarterbacks and everybody else didn't have to worry about being sacked. So when you look at the offensive side of, of the, uh, scrimmage, <clears throat> I would say they got better in their series and their execution of a series on the defensive side. Uh, they keep mentioning, uh, excuse me guys they keep mentioning that the secondary is the most improved part of the defense and i I might have to say i think that they have some great athletes in the secondary i don't know if the corners have been tested they keep talking about the the corners in the secondary i think you've got to test those corners all the time and you've got to make them aware that people are going to try to go deep on you and make you prove to them that your corners can cover and uh, they went deep, I think, once or twice, and they did hit a pass, a deep pass, so they have to establish that. As far as the defense itself, we can talk about that more, but that's going to be the backbone of this team.
1: Yeah, I would agree with you there, Coach. And obviously a lot of uh, a lot of nuggets And what you just said. Um, I think we'll go back to someone in the beginning about the coverage. Um, it was not encouraged that this was going to be a spring game, um, you know, We weren't really, you know, we were going to try to do some sort of tailgate. They didn't really want that. So for whatever reason, it just wasn't something that they were trying to uh, get out there. Now, I was surprised they did have like some like marketing stuff out there, like, you know, some giveaways, some different companies that were there. I think uh, like Cooper Mini or something had a booth. So for not having a lot of people, they still did like uh, some sort of uh, like some marketing stuff and they had some companies out there. I think there were some protein cookies being given away, things like that. Um, but it, yeah, it was kind of, it was a little bit strange, but I, I think that was coming from USC that they didn't really want this to be promoted and they didn't want a lot of people, uh, to show up. I guess, I think they were probably worried about filling up the stands, but it was probably about half full in there, plenty of room, but you know, about a thousand, I would estimate about a thousand people ended up showing up.
0: I would agree. There's there's about the same amount that was at the scrimmage last week. I, I would really say about the same, uh, just a different setting, different, uh, type of format uh, when you add the number of total offensive full speed scrimmage plays they had this spring I would guess in a scrimmage situation 90 I would say in most college scrimmages and we're talking about Alabama Ohio State Texas A&M these others Clemson on the level you'd like to think USC plays football I would say they would have that in one scrimmage their final game of the year Uh, or Spring game of the year, let's say, or at least eighty, so I think they really missed out on a lot of learning, and I'm not talking about just being physical, I'm talking about learning situations that you can use off the tape the entire off season to be better, especially when you have young kids, as far as a quarterback was, they even made the statement that they felt more relaxed out there, and everything else is because. They had a feel of what was going on. Now, if you'd have done this the first Saturday, then you'd have been able to do this. But when you let people know uh, last Saturday that this is our last big scrimmage of the year, well, then you don't get, I don't think, I don't think the same effort at your Tuesday practice or your Thursday practice or your Saturday practice. And you also reviewed the first Tuesday after the spring break so now we're talking about four practice dates and maybe 90 scrimmage plays. So I'm not saying that uh, they're not a better football team, but I think they could have become a more educated uh, football team and a more physical football team by being physical. You can't talk about we're going to be physical on Saturday unless you're physical every day when you walk on the field. You can't go on the field without a helmet if you're injured because you don't wear a helmet. You wear a helmet all the time when you're on the field. And I think there's little things like that that make the difference of when you're ready to play at a full level of physicalness, intensity, uh, and all of that, uh, the way you practice.
1: Coach, one of the interesting things is I – Through the second half of the spring, I started charting the quarterback throws. Uh, You know, it was just simple stuff, like if it was completed or not, if it was like a short, medium, or long pass, and then I would note if it was a defensive, like if it was the first-team defense they were running against and which offense they were running with, just to kind of keep track of how both guys were doing. And there were some pretty bad moments, and there were some good ones too. Uh, Certainly a higher percentage of throws in this you know, spring showcase or this final spring, you know, so there was a lot of really short rollouts and dump offs to tight ends. You know, more tight end balls, I think, caught that Saturday than we've seen, you know, throughout spring. But one of the, like, kind of one of your points about is the number of uh, competitive plays that they've run in the spring. There really wasn't a whole lot of competitive throws, not just Saturday, but a lot of the other days too, where I thought that was kind of interesting, where it's this quarterback competition, but Counting up all the seven on seven and 11 on 11, the actual throws that were made, there just wasn't as many as I thought you would have had. You know what I mean? So I'm going to, I'll go to back and um, kind of average them out and I'll, I'll put some data up on USAfootball.com. Uh, you know, sometime this week, I'm going to go through all those numbers. But every day after practice, it was just like, man, that just wasn't a whole lot of throws. I, I just thought that was interesting.
0: No, it's very interesting and uh because the way you develop your quarterback is you build confidence and you try to, you know, give him a look where he can be successful too, yet you have your defense not at a disadvantage, you make him run their coverages, but you've got to be able to throw the ball down the field. Now all the tight ends that caught balls yesterday and all the passing game was all a short passing game. I don't think there was a pass thrown to a tight end over five yards down the field, okay? I didn't see any cross routes, post routes. I saw one earlier a short uh, post route, no corner routes, uh, no deep drags, no crossing routes. I mean, we didn't see any of that yesterday. It was a very simple offense. And I think that's why uh, the quarterbacks felt a lot more comfortable. But there's different ways of teaching. Like one thing I noticed, too, and I mentioned that Dan, when I was standing by Dan, Dan they were doing pass rush drills. And uh, they were going against uh, themselves and and, and trying to give different looks and so on. And I asked Dan, I said, Dan, we have all these officials standing around. Why aren't they officiating that drill? There's holding going on. I could see the holding. You want to be able to say, hey, son, you know, hey, you're holding on that play. I'd have to call it. Or, or son, hey, uh, I would have let you get by, but don't do that the next time. I'm going to call it. And also, when they do a lot of these passing drills, why don't they have quarterbacks alternating down there where they get used to standing in these passing rush drills? You don't hit them, obviously, but seeing the rush come and and learning to step up in the pack pocket or avoid the rush. And then also, I don't think it's fair to the offensive lineman when everybody on defense knows that it's a pass. I think occasionally you have to run a draw. Occasionally you have to run a run. So the defensive player doesn't always have the advantage. You know, when you know it's a pass-heavy play, well, you don't have to worry about anything else. So you've got to make it a realistic type of drill. And when you had all these officials standing around, I think you should officiate every single drill that's going on in the field, whether it's seven-on-seven or one-on-one or whatever's going on, so that you get a real feeling of what's a hold and not a hold and with the different rules that are coming up and so on. I think you've got to... Educate these kids, and educate yourself as a coach to know what is a penalty and what isn't a penalty. So uh, I sort of uh, felt that that wasn't utilized. Uh, the officials being there, I mean, to what they could have been utilized for.
1: Yeah, um, it, you know, it was just it was kind of strange, just the way the, the way it was sort of run. Did you like that approach? I know um, I you know talked to Dan Weber afterwards, as far as like. Uh, You know, throwing the ball to the tight ends more, keeping like a higher percentage. I almost got the feeling that if you go to a regular practice, like more than half the ball seemed to be hitting the ground from the quarterbacks. There just weren't a lot, especially stuff that's more down the field. This one seemed like more of they were trying to, um, you know, make sure there was a higher completion percentage, which there certainly was. Um, But it was something really we hadn't seen, you know, I guess for the whole rest of spring. I don't know if you get the feeling like you well, know, they just didn't want to go on TV and show a whole bunch of incomplete passes or something.
0: No. Um, yeah, I think they should have utilized their series more as far as with the tight end and receivers off the series, the complete series itself as far as in the passing game. I hope they have more than that. Uh, they haven't thrown to the tight end, as you mentioned, much in the spring or much ever, and I don't, I, I don't know what. They sort of overdid that same route. And uh, maybe they didn't want to show anything on national TV. I I don't know. But that's not why I have a spring game. I'm going to have a spring game to get better. I'm not going to worry about what other people see or say. And if he does throw an interception or if he does throw into the wrong coverage or so on, I want to be able to teach off of that. But if you're going to work a series, you've got to be able to execute that series. And the only way you're going to get better at it is practice everything you have off that series. And, uh, no, they didn't do that. They threw the backs a lot. And they threw, it was all short passing game. Very short passing game. It was like, we want to have good stats. We want to be able to, uh, have the quarterbacks feel good about themselves, which is very, very important. Don't misunderstand me. But I don't think that they did, uh, do everything they could have done, uh, offensively. And when you cut the practice down and, and you, and you make it where it's not important, to me, you know, I almost didn't go. I hate to tell you this, ladies and gentlemen. I almost didn't go because, but then I did go because I love football and I wanted to see what went on so I could discuss this with you. And I think that's why the fan base was down. And I don't know why they didn't want people there or try to make it a bigger event. Because USC football people, that's why you're listening today is because you have a passion about USC football. And I was discussing this with a young writer out there. And the young writer said to me, well, you know, we're not like the SEC. I said, wait a minute, we're not like the SEC. John McKay took USC to Alabama and beat the Bear. That's what integrated the South. Pete Carroll, with a new quarterback with the Auburn, and beat Auburn. And how about when they beat Arkansas back-to-back? People quickly forget the USC tradition. And when I look at everybody, I start to say, how many people really remember Pete Carroll? That's out there. They're all younger people. Nothing against that. Great careers in front of them. But you got to remember what USC football tradition is and what people want, and they won't need it uh, it's more like a transfusion to them to bring people on campus for parents day and homecoming and all this. in the country clubs, when people go to the country club and say, where are their colors? And, and uh, the other guys hide their colors. Yeah. This is what USC football is about. And I, and I want to see it to maintain that way if they can. Yeah. Or for, bring it back.
1: Bring it back. Um, You you
0: know what I'm talking about, Ryan. You're a Trojan. You remember all those.
1: I remember that stuff, coach. Yeah. There wasn't a
0: lot of plays you run. You know, USC's philosophy and all great teams' philosophies are this we don't do a lot of things, but what we do, we do well. And when we get the best players, we're going to take those best players and we're going to teach them what we do, and we're going to do it better than anybody else could do it. We want everybody to look at us and say, we want to be like them. And that's what USC should be.
1: One of the interesting aspects uh, that came out of Saturday, and uh, it's funny, Akili Yore was doing some digging around and and talked to a source who, you know, a lot of the questions about JT Daniels, the incoming freshman quarterback, five-star kid that's, uh, you know, graduated early from modern days, taking a lot of classes right now, weren't really sure when he was going to be able to show up. So with both Matt Fink and Jack Sears, not really lighting the world on fire. People were looking to JT Daniels to come in, but if he had to take classes all summer and wasn't going to you know, be able to arrive until right the beginning of fall, it would have just been that much harder for him to win the job. And I think going into the spring, you you know, I think a lot of USC fans were hopeful, either Fink or Sears step up and just take the job. And that certainly hasn't happened but what's happened on the JT Daniel side? He's been to almost every every practice. He was down there on Saturday, and Keeley got the got the word that he was actually going to be able to enroll in USC spring. Uh, I mean uh, USC summer classes. He'd be there on June eighth with the rest of the guys. So it wouldn't like he'd be behind. He would at least get the summer workouts. He would get to start taking some classes at USC, and then uh, you know kind of get his get the train rolling as far as. Getting up to speed and trying to compete for that starting job. I think it makes a huge difference if he can come in early June as opposed to uh, August or something when when you know fall camp was started. So he'll have the summer to try to get acclimated and then really be able to compete in fall camp. Now it's it's not as good as being in the spring, and a lot of quarterbacks do that. But he's coming a whole year early, so he couldn't do that. Well, anyway, um, so Keeley kind of got that scoop, but then Clay Helton just announced it during his. uh his, his, his post-practice uh, uh, scrum. So he also said JT's going to be available uh, June 8th. I don't know if that was sort of a message to the current quarterbacks, but um, that was a, that, I think that was a big deal, and it's a big development, that if you didn't like what you saw from the USC quarterbacks this spring, JT Daniels has that much more of an opportunity now, coach, to get on campus and learn as much as he can and really try to fight for that starting job. So I don't know what you thought about that development and, and seeing JT kind of sitting there uh, checking everything out while the other guys were throwing passes around.
0: Well, you know, I, uh, I think it's great that he's there. Every, every practice, one of my colleagues said to me, coach, do you know what he has in that backpack? I said, you know, I'm not quite sure. He must have a, a headshot camera or something. Uh, he carries that backpack everywhere. He comes to practice. I never see him take it off. So I don't really know what's in there. But I really would love to ask him, uh, what do you got in that thing? Because uh, he always wears that. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Doesn't he always wear his backpack even at practice on the field?
1: Yeah, when he's walking around. You, when he's at USC, yeah. he's always got the backpack on, yeah.
0: Right. So what I'm saying, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a camera in there that he can watch everything from behind the plate. Now, <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm not kidding you. I have never seen anybody come to practice with a backpack. and uh, But, yeah, you know, uh, he's a great quarterback, and he's, got, he's done everything that he can do in high school. That's why he's coming out early. And, of course, USC's excited about him coming in in the fall. But remember, he hasn't, speed, he hasn't played at the speed of this game either. Now, I'm saying he has the potential to play at the speed of this game, but it's a shock. It's a culture shock when you go in there and you see the speed of these defensive linemen and uh, and the way they come after you and the secondary people. Now, he's playing against all five stars now when he plays, and it's going to be a little bit different of him uh, as far as picking it up. Now, he has the ability to do that, and everybody just hoping, hoping, hoping. Yeah, okay, everybody hopes that you can improve at a position, but he's going to have to earn that starting position too because the rest of the team is looking at – Uh, They're friends, and they want the best quarterback on the field, so he's not going to become an automatic starter. He's going to have to earn that spot, and he's going to have to earn it uh, in a way where the team agrees with who's the starting quarterback. So uh, I think he's got a clear shot at it. They certainly have made it uh, open. It hasn't been any uh, open, close, uh, you know, who's the starting quarterback. But coming in in the fall, he would be number three to me. That's why I put him on the depth chart. And then I'd make him earn, if he is the best, he obviously will show it, work himself up. But the only way you're going to do that is you've got to scrimmage. You've got to do hitting now in the fall, a lot of hitting. Normally you don't do that much hitting in the fall, but you're going to have to do that. because this kid's got to learn the speed of the game, as long as the other quarterbacks. And you better teach A, B, C. And that means, you know, start and run the series and reads and all the passes off those series, the bootlegs off those series, all the different things you do before you throw all the series at it. You can't do that. The kid will be behind the entire time as well as everybody else. You don't perform it. You heard what I said. It's not the number of plays you run. It's the way you run them. So I think that's what exactly the approach should be. Will it be that way? I don't know. But yep. that's just my opinion as this show is all about.
1: Um, we had a question, Mike, from Lakeview Terrace. He said, I have a high school coach telling me that JT Daniels is every bit as good as Josh Rosen was as a freshman, if not better. I wanted your opinion on that because it seems to me that if he's really good, uh, then it is a foregone conclusion who our starting quarterback is going to be next season. Do you think this quarterback competition is legit, or is this J.T. Show to, J.T. show to run Once he's on campus, Uh, that's from Mike and I'll I'll give a comment real quick and then get coaches. Um, I think it could have been put away like a Matt Fink could have really put himself in a great position where you didn't need to worry about JT Daniels and stuff. I don't think that happened. Um, I really feel like neither quarterback uh, played all that well. Uh, There were some, some great moments for sure, but there was just a lot of meh moments and I don't think anyone Anything that happened in spring precluded JT Daniels from coming in and winning the job. And now that he's going to be able to be there on June 8th, I think that gives him another leg up. So if you were like putting odds on who the starting quarterback was going to be, I really felt think was the leader and 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 would have started. And if JT Daniels was going to play, it would have likely been like game three or something like, uh, you know, game four, something like that, like what we saw with Sam Darnold. Now I think the odds are probably shift to JT Daniels has a, a you know maybe a better than even chance of, of starting against UNLV which I did not think going in the spring. So even though JT Daniels wasn't out there, I would say his chances of starting uh the opener have certainly increased. I don't know what what do you think coach?
0: Well, uh, as far as Josh Rosen is concerned, he certainly has had the same type of high school career and uh stats and I don't know if Josh Rosen ever won a national championship, but uh, Mater Dei did and beat some great teams. And I know, I know, especially Bishop Gorman. So I think he's a great player. And I think that everyone expects him to come in and certainly has the credentials to be at Josh Rosen his freshman year. I do. If coached properly put in the right positions where he can win. And uh, and I think that they'll make both Matt Fink and Jack Sears a better football player too because they know they're going to have competition. So I think that the quarterback position will be highly contested and make them all three better. And I look forward to see who wants to compete. Who's going to compete or who's going to drop back? Who, uh, you know, is going to be the one that uh, doesn't want to compete on every single play? And you'll see that because Daniel's going to compete. And Fink's got to step up and compete, and same with Sears. So I think it's going to make the competition a better position at at USC with J.T. Daniels there. So does he have the ability to start? If they give him the ability to get better, and if they keep the progression and the teaching at a minimal as far as make sure he understands all three quarterbacks, understand what the purpose is of a play, and what his reads are in the passing game and the series and why you do certain things and you learn to do that well, then they all three will become better football players. And I think that if he does and if he is the best, he should start the first game of the year. Because you can't wait. Because the first game of the year is a team that uh, UNLV, but it's not Stanford, it's not Texas, it's not Notre Dame, It's not one of those schools that you're expected to play with and win, and you're going to play them on the road. And you're going to get evaluated real quickly the second and third week of your football season, so you better give your guys some playing time, whoever that guy is. So I think that it is really important to start teaching immediately and make sure you teach thoroughly and uh, get your guy ready to go, whoever that guy is. But you've got to give the guy some turns in live competition. And they've got to be able to go 60 plays or 50 plays or how many plays you can get in an offensive football game side of the football in, in your opening game. I, I just think so because they haven't done it in the spring and JT Daniels hadn't done it in the spring. So you've got to do some great teaching and coaching come this fall, not only with the quarterback position, but all positions, but we're talking about quarterbacks.
1: We had another question kind of along those lines from David and Agora Hills uh, during So he went to uh, practice, I think this was two weeks ago. He said, during the practice, Saturday's practice, JT Daniels was next to quarterback coach Brian Ellis with a play sheet and engaged with the Trojan wide receivers. Coach Helton after practice said about Sears and Fink, my initial gut said that we weren't very good. I don't think JT Daniels is leaving high school and reclassifying to come to USC in the fall to sit on the bench. With a good fall practice, don't you think all signs are pointing to JT We'll start the season uh, as the starting quarterback. Thanks for fight on, David. So we kind of talked about that, but I wanted to read that one too if you have any other thoughts.
0: Yeah, send them in. I, I think what he had, if he had a piece of paper in front of him, he had the script, which means they already have listed the plays that they're going to run. And they know the defense they're going to run it against if it's an offensive period. So you know exactly what you're looking for. So when you go back to on the films, you know what plays coming up. And you know what to look for if you're an offensive coach or defensive coach. So that's what he had. He probably read the sheet, and then he knew exactly what the call was and how you call it. And then he looked out there and see what was going on against the defense. That's probably what he had. And uh, as far as him coming in and being the starting quarterback, uh, if he's the best, you hope he is. And you want the best one on the field. And if he is, who he is. And, uh, you know, I haven't. Broken it down. All I know, is he's won a lot of games. i watch him win a lot of games. But he's a talented kid. And so are other ones. But let's make it a competition where they all three get better, and that makes you a better football team. And if he is the starter, then he should be the starter. And if there is a difference, that much of a difference, he should start immediately so you become a better football team and he becomes a better quarterback.
1: You know, Coach, one thing I wanted to ask you about is because – Uh, I mean, quarterbacks, the, the, you know, the alpha position always, it's always, you know, it's the most important position in American sports um, as far as everything kind of being on your shoulders, having this five-star guy there that everyone's talking about, you know, with his backpack, like you said, kind of looking over the other quarterback's shoulders, do you get the feeling that it was, it could have been a distraction or it was something that, um, you know, it didn't really help the other quarterbacks? And if that's the case... Um, if, if you can be kind of knocked off your game a little bit just by having that, uh, it, it would have probably been hard for you to win the job anyway. But I, I don't know if you, what your thoughts on that or what kind of impact just JT Daniels being around had on Fink and Sears.
0: Well, you know, uh, you want him to be around. You want him to see what's going on. But, you know, being on there in the field like that, I, I don't know if that's good. Uh, It does put additional pressure on the quarterbacks and they sometimes may give them the feeling that, hey, they're, they're t- telling us that this guy's the guy. Is he getting extra privileges that we're not getting? And uh, why doesn't he just wait till the summer like everybody else where he can be a part of the team? I'm sure that goes through those quarterbacks mind. I mean, you're a teammate, but you're also a guy that wants to beat him out. and You don't want special privileges for one. You want the same for all. All freshmen coming in. And I'm sure that USC feels, uh, and often, we've got to have him out there to learn the game and so on, but you can do a lot of teaching on tape and stuff like that. And, you know, that's just uh, a philosophy that Clay Halton has. And if he wanted him out there, that's his call. But I do think, and I'll agree, I do think that it's a little uh, extra privilege for uh, JT to be out there on the field. And it would put additional pressure and gives him a little bit of an extra type of saying he's the guy or he's the one that we want to really teach and maybe you guys aren't good enough. I think it gives him a little it give I would it would give me a little bit of that type of feeling if I was the other two.
1: Yeah, I think so too. But we'll see. Um let's see. Chris in San Jose, he said, Love the podcast. I was wondering if you could bring on Colin Cowherd. As a guest, uh, before the NFL draft, I'd love to hear more opinions from him. i really love you to ask him uh, which NFL scouts, executives' opinions are of USC players before they are drafted or even after they are drafted. He's mentioned how he's been spending time with many executives lately. I'm sure he asks these types of questions knowing he's a big USC fan. Anyway, keep up the great work, Chris in San Jose. And We've, we've had Colin on before, and Coach and I have talked about actually getting together with him because... You had a relationship with Colin back when, in your UNLV days, right?
0: Right. He covered us. He was a local anchor in Las Vegas on one of the stations there. and uh, That's basically almost where he got started. And We have a good relationship, and every time we see each other, we talk. And, and uh, yeah, I'd love to have lunch with him. You're a close friend of his, and maybe we can get together and talk about old stories. Uh, Jimmy Kimmel, I, I ran into him down there in Manhattan Beach we, with his family, and I had a great talk with him. He said he used to come to all the games and everything. Uh, it's great it's uh it's great to see these kids grow up and, and same as my players the way they grow up and what they're doing as far as general managers of MGM and this and that and doctors and lawyers you know everybody's not a doctor and lawyer i'm not but uh uh it's it's great i think coaching is something that is a great experience uh when i did it it wasn't uh, i was going to become a millionaire right away it was something that I did because I loved the game. Now I still think the coaches love the game, but they're highly compensated for it. And and I think that's, I don't hold that against them. I think it's great that you can make that kind of money coaching the game. And I, I think that sort of demonstrates what the game is all about and how people watch the game. And people are willing to pay for the game, whether it's in person at the the event itself or on television. And I've always said that it won't be long where all the bowls And they're doing it now. It used to be always free to watch the Rose Bowl. It used to be always free to watch all the games. And now if you see, they're all going to networks uh, as far as cable. And there'll be a period of time where the Rose Bowl and the Orange Bowl and the Sugar Bowl and all that, you'll have to buy a package, just like the NFL Network uh, package uh, as far as, I forget what they call that on Sundays. Uh, You're gonna have to do that because that's what it's all about now. It's too bad. I'm not saying it's ruined the game, but I'm saying it's eliminated a lot of people for being able to afford the game, as far as going to the game in person or watching the game. And I hate to see that happen to America's game.
1: Yeah, the uh, well, Colin was actually out there at the spring game, uh, or spring whatever, the spring showcase. Was he there?
0: Was he uh, yesterday? Yeah, you
1: didn't see him. No, where was he? He was. Uh, he kind of came into our. So we had a little media pen, like we normally did. They, they, they gave us this pen, similar to where we have uh, on the other field on Howard Jones. He yeah. was in there for a minute, but then he wanted to go. I think he wanted to go talk to some of the people on the field. So him and uh, one of the Fox executives, he came in with. They were uh, our buddy Jacob. They were well, watching Why does
0: he get pr- special privileges?
1: <laughs> He's calling coward. Oh, no, I
0: don't care who he is. Now that's making. <laughs> that's making. Now wait a minute. That's making the exception. Every single one of us should write an article and talk about why one and not the other. I'm <laughs> making us think about that, okay?
1: All right, you stick it up. I didn't and I love heard. Colin,
0: okay? <laughs> okay? And I'm doing this just to tease Colin, too. But, yeah, what's that all about, and we're, Colin we're about. <laughs> and Tim and everybody? What, what was that all about? Yeah.
1: No, he, was, he was outside of our ropes.
0: No um, kidding! You shouldn't have brought that up, ladies and gentlemen. Did you hear that? Huh? Did you hear that?
1: Now Colin's gonna be mad at me if I get him in trouble or something. Sorry.
0: No, you're um, not gonna get him in trouble. <laughs> I just want everybody to know there's double standards.
1: There certainly is. Huh? Um, yeah, I, I never thought there wasn't. Um,
0: <laughs> do you think he has more listeners
1: than we do? Yeah, it's maybe a few. Huh?
0: <laughs> Uh, just want to kid everybody. Guys, I, tell you, I love Colin, man. The first time I saw him, the other day, he gave, we took a picture together. I didn't tweet it out or anything. and they oh, you Follow me on the, at Coach Harvey. And you'll find out a lot of things.
1: Nice. Uh, we got a couple more. We'll let you go, Coach. Um, this one's just kind of for fun from uh, Steve. and Te- He's down in Texas. How would you answer this? It's very late night, and somehow you find yourself in a very bad part of town. Uh, is there any bad parts of Pasadena? I don't know, Coach. Uh, some tough-looking guys are gathering around, and trouble is imminent. Which one, USC player, would you want to have standing by your side? That's from Steve in Jacksonville, Texas.
0: My gosh. It's
1: a That's one. quite a question. That's a different one. I'll I'll go first if you want. Uh, so. I mean
0: I don't really know who I'd want. I I I don't need anybody standing by my side. <laughs> what the heck's the deal? I I I always knew that. I I very friendly in the hood. I love being in the hood. That's why I was talking to kids and that's where a lot of my players came from. And uh, you know they just need to be treated with respect and maybe I'd give them some T-shirts and rubble stuff I had in my trunk always to make sure that they could. Word, we the colors, and we, and I tell them why I'm down there. I'm recruiting players, and if I, if you ever want to come to a Rebel game, I'll get you tickets, and the whole thing, you know? So, uh, who's the toughest guy on the team? I have no idea who the toughest guy on the team is, but, uh, but, uh, but, you well, know, I don't know what you're thinking about, but I hope you stay out of those areas. Yeah.
1: I think like if you look at like Porter Gustin, like maybe like he's two hundred and seventy pounds now and just, you know, works out five days, you know, five times a day. But you know, one dude that looks like super intimidating, like one of the nicest guys around, uh, Alwali Um, he's kind of like a first dude off the bus guy. I mean, he's just like a man he's just I mean, he's just mammoth. He's he's so strong. Um one of those two that? guys. Who is it? So Olawale, uh Bedeku, um, so he's the outside linebacker um from Sarah oh, okay. High School, former five-star guy. So one of those two dudes. So I, I guess I'm going with linebackers. Um that's who I would uh, cuz they can be fast, but you know, you can get a huge like offensive lineman but you know, they might be able to run around. No, they don't something.
0: they don't move quick enough.
1: Yeah. So I think those are the two no, guys. They
0: don't work. They're not athletic enough, okay? Yeah.
1: Those are probably have- the two I would take.
0: <laughs> I don't know how we got on this topic. Yeah. It was just I a don't question. Know.
1: All right, we got one last one. Um,
0: Thanks for the question, though, man. Thanks thanks. for the question.
1: (laughs) Kevin in North Tustin. Uh, I didn't know they split up Tustin. Uh, That's uh, Dan Weber territory, by the way. So he said, I heard you on the Audible recently. Good job there. So I was on with uh, Stuart Mandel and Bruce Feldman a couple weeks ago. Oh, good. Talking about, yeah. So on the Audible there, uh, college football podcast, he says, Bruce mentioned something about the coordinators in our conference. Being not quite up the par versus the Big Ten, the SEC, and the ACC, given the salary differentials, I'd agree. He noted Alex Grinch moving from Washington State to Ohio State as an assistant as proof that there's a growing disparity in the big conferences. One could argue that Grinch uh, expected Shiano to become Tennessee's new head coach, which prom- uh, promoted the move, but still, it's concerning. One could also argue we didn't get the Tennessee running back coach who was making $500,000 per year, Due to cost of living and SC's overall unwillingness to pay what it takes. I could go on and on with these uh, with this topic, support staff, coaching hires, but you get the gist. Long term, it seems we have an issue on our hands. Would love some deeper, candid commentary from you guys. What do you think, Coach? Uh, that's Kevin and Tustin.
0: Well, I agree. I think, first of all, those other conferences are, are got more money. Than the Pac 12, because the Pac 12 network has not been what the others are. I tell you, you could watch all the spring games yesterday. It was absolutely fabulous on national TV, and, and they, they, got, they got a good deal going on. When the Pac 12 went by itself, it should have gone with Fox. It'd been everywhere, but they wanted to do it themselves, and it cost them a lot more money, and they don't make the same type of revenue, and, and they can't afford uh, the type of uh, pay for coaches. They have a larger attendance and all of those other areas, and uh, and that's where they get the money to do that. Uh, And it does cost more, realistically. We all know who live in California to live here, so you have to give them more built-in money for the cost of living. But USC could do that if they wanted to. USC probably feels as though, you know, it's an honor to coach at USC. If you want to coach at USC, this is how much we pay, and so and so and so on. I think there's a little bit of that in there, too, a little bit of arrogance in there, too, by USC, and I can see it, and I would have done it myself. So, you know, can't can't be critical. But, yeah, they haven't surrounded themselves with the big-name type of assistant coaches that normally uh, you could probably get, uh, or even as big-name coaches, such as Nick Saban does all the time down at Alabama, is in those consultant uh, category type of, position. Butch Jones is there now. And, and I forget they got another coordinator down there. That is a great coordinator. Now as a consultant role, I know, I forgot it was the defensive coordinator at UCLA. Just can't think of his name right now. And now he's down there with Nick Saban in a consultant role. Uh, I've always said, I thought Norm Chow would be a great consultant role here at USC. He's living here in Southern California. He'd love to do that, I'm sure, not to go in and tell people what to do, but tell them his opinion along with others that live in Southern California who are outstanding coaches. I'd go out and get Terry Donahue. I'd go out and get a lot of people. I'd ask him if he'd want to do it. He might not say no. He might say no because it's UCLA. If he wanted to do it, he'd do it there. But there's people that you want to surround your program with that can help you as a young coach that you respect. He doesn't make all the decisions, but you can ask his opinion. He's been there when the lights have been on. And uh, I think it's very, very important to have the best people around you you can have. And you cannot be intimidated by who they are. I've always felt that I hope my staff is capable, every single assistant I have, to be a head football coach someday. Because if he becomes a head football coach, that means we're winning some football games. And that's what I want, uh, win football games. So that's what I feel. I think you should have the strongest surrounding cast you can have. And, and you've heard me many, many times, Ryan, you have heard me say, being a coordinator at USC or being a head coach at USC is like flying Air Force One, okay? Before you fly Air Force One, this is the White House of the West in college football, you better learn how to fly other things first before you fly Air Force One. Yeah, And that's the way I always, uh, always try to compare USC football to.
1: And uh, Kevin, great question. And I, no, I, I agree that the disparity in the amount of money that's going to be distributed, and uh, we talk about this on our Pac-12 podcast, the podcast of champions with David Woods. Uh, we're actually going to have John Wilner on um, from San Jose Mercury News this week. He's an expert in all this stuff. Um, the Big Ten took a little bit of a hit as far as their network goes. Uh, some of the out-of-market They're not going to carry some one of the cable companies isn't going to carry Big Ten Network out of conference. It's not going to be easy for any conference. But the problem is the Pac-12 likes in last place of all those. And uh, the money is just going to be the divide between the haves and the have nots. And the Pac-12 is certainly going to be a have not is going to get wider and wider. So you'll have Rutgers and Iowa State and programs like that making 20, 30 million dollars more than like a USC or UCLA every year. Now, maybe it doesn't hurt. SC or UCLA as much, but certainly it's going to hurt some of the smaller programs. Um, You know, you could have a a smaller, a a lower level Big Ten school hiring away coaches from not just lower level Pac-12 schools, but the medium or or the high level ones too, just because of the money disparity. So I think it's a real thing. I don't think that's what we've seen at USC. Um, I think that's just more about wanting to be comfortable in the people you're hiring and you're hiring people you're familiar with. Um, you know, less likely to go out and just go get a big name that you don't know as well as opposed to get someone that you already know. I think that's what's really happening at USC. So I don't think it's going to impact USC as much as, you know, Kevin, uh, but, you know, I think in the Pac-12 in general, it's going to hurt. And every year it's getting worse. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's an, a real problem. And it's something that, uh, you know, I think Larry Scott and the, and the office, and Pac-12 office has to address somehow. I just don't know. How they're going to do it when their tier one rights aren't up for another six years? So it's, I think it's going to be a long way. By the time that six years is over, I think the Pac twelve is going to be making significant all the Pac twelve schools significantly less money per year uh, from the you know the the revenue splits on television than all of the the rest of the Power Five. So it's going to be a real problem. I feel.
0: No, I agree with you 100%. And uh, I don't know, uh, he doesn't really have any answers. He just says, uh, we're working on it. Well, he's been working on it a long time, and he hasn't uh, really seen this this system, system the way he's working on it. It didn't work in, okay? And uh, I'll tell you another thing that I, I thought that really hurt USC. Now, I'm not saying it didn't hurt other schools as far as in Southern California. It was when they decided to distribute the revenues to all the university is the same. Are you kidding me? The revenues for attendance, the revenues for television, the revenues of all of these schools. Some schools get $25,000 of the game. USC gets $70,000 of the game. When USC is on television, the ratings are so much higher than when someone else is on television. And they are distributing it the same? Are you kidding me? Who put that deal together? And who started that deal to even talk about that? I mean... It, what's he call it? Parody? He wants to have parity in the conference, which is great. But, uh, hey, man, don't take my revenue away uh, to make others uh, better to beat me. And Not that they're going to beat me, but, uh, you know, what we earn, we should keep. And I think that's uh, a little bit, too, the balance to pack 12 out a great deal.
1: All right, Coach Harvey Hyde, breaking down USC's spring showcase not game scrimmage whatever you want to say uh great stuff coach thanks again for coming on
0: well thank you for a short segment when we talked uh, off the air we did almost an hour so ryan i guess when you and i get together uh we can uh, really uh get it on and we want to thank you our <laughs> listeners out there because man uh we really enjoy doing this show and it's because of you we do this show and we want to thank you very much for listening
1: yeah, thanks so much. And if you guys, so we'll, you know, we'll keep kind of talking about spring for another week or two. So if you have any specific questions, something you saw on the broadcast that you want the coach to answer, just make sure you email us, say, hey, this is for Coach. Uh, or you can, you know, text, uh, you know, voicemail, whatever you want to do. The, the email is podcast at uscfootball.com and the text or voicemail line is 424 254 9141. Let Coach, what you want to talk about, anything specific that you saw in the game, a specific player. And then we'll, we'll address it over the next week or two. So, But thanks to the coach. Uh, thanks to all of you, like Coach said, for listening. We make the show for you. You make the show. So without you, we don't have a show. So thank you so much. And we will talk to you next time. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287, 1-800-888-7287, that's 1-800-888-7287, or visit us on the web at sctickets.com, SC Tickets, Concerts, Sports, and Theater.
0: You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com.